Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Downbacker podcast. Uh, today we have um, Coach Tim Murphy, uh, the head football coach at Clinton Valley High School in California. Coach, how are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. No problem, Coach. Thanks for coming on. Um, I, I, I want to kind of, before um, we kind of get into it, uh, just kind of a little bit of background for our uh, viewers. Um, how um, how did you end up at Clayton Valley? Well, this is where I was kind of born and raised. Um, so, you know, I went to Santa Barbara and played college ball there. The program folded when I was a junior. And uh, I already started, you know, knew I was interested in, in athletics somehow and was working on kind of teaching credential type stuff. So um, anyway, once, once I got done with Santa Barbara, that Monday I graduated from college. I literally started as a D coordinator at uh, Mount Diablo High School, which is a school over here um, struggling for a long time. So, you know, they needed somebody. And uh, so I got recommended to take their defense and, and we had a couple good seasons. We, you know, improved the program pretty good. And I was also coaching track at a school called Ignacio Valley. And that job uh, opened up and they were struggling pretty bad too. Um, and that was the head coaching job. I kind of got that by default. I don't, I don't even think anyone else applied. Uh, so for my first two jobs, I don't think anyone else even applied for it. Um, and then we had some pretty good su- success over at Ignacio Valley, which led me down to Clovis, which is a part of the Central Valley that's really big as far. It's almost like a little piece of Texas when it comes to, especially football and wrestling. It's, it's just a huge. And I, I wanted to see what it'd be like to play in some big venues and, you know, some serious stress, all that kind of stuff as far as uh, winning, you know, the Clovis East was the school I was at, and there's a school called Clovis West. And uh, the, the guy was told if he didn't win 10 games the following year, he was going to get fired. So that's the kind of atmosphere, yeah. you know, we were in. And uh, us and West were the main rivals. And then uh, and then Clay Valley opened back up up here in 2012. And, you know, my original at Clovis East was to stay there five years just to see what a new program was like. You know, it was also new. You know, I first started there, they only had juniors. Um, we actually made it to the uh, CIF championship with all juniors. And I think to this day, it's the only team to have ever done that in the history of California. I don't know if it's been, I know it wasn't done before. And I don't think it's been done since. Um, and then we were nationally ranked a couple of times. So I kind of, you know, I, I was getting offers, but I want to come back up to the Bay area. And uh, so far it's been a really good decision. The uh, administration has been outstanding. And, and uh, this isn't the school I went to, but we're in the, well, we moved up a league, but this school, Ignacio Valley and College Park, where I went to high school, were in the same league for, I don't yeah. know, 30 years and still until, uh, you know, we got moved out of the league in 2015 uh, because some of the teams said we were too physical. 
Um, <laughs> it's embarrassing. Uh, but, you know, they use the, uh, the the thing with concussions these days, the moment you can get any administrator to think something is too physical, they're going to do something about it because they're just so afraid of lawsuits. So we've actually been kicked out of two leagues now um, for being too physical. And it's not that we're too physical. It's just we're, you know, we went seven years in a row without losing a league game in two different leagues, and those guys didn't like it. So, uh, anyway, I'm already getting bitter. <laughs> we're five minutes into it, I'm already getting bitter. Um, but, yeah, so we've been kicked out of two leagues, and now we're in a – we're a Division two school by numbers, which yeah. is second largest, and now we're in a Division one league. And, you know, obviously played El Sal now all the time, too, who's, you know, one of the best teams in the country every year. And, uh, but they're not the same division as us, though we do got to play them each year. Okay. And uh, that's always a rough way to end it. And that's the way we're ending it this year, too. March, excuse me, April 17th has to be our last game uh, for our kids to be able to play in the next year's season. Because okay. as we were just talking, our football program just, or football season just opened up in California. But every school in California has to be done by April 17th in order for them to have spring ball next year and all that kind of stuff. So. Long story short, we get six games and and we're off and rolling, and this will uh, be an interesting season, that's for sure. Now, you have, you obviously have a reputation as a double wing guy, um, and, and coaches can find resources for that uh, for your website below. Um, but what was that transition like from being under center double wing to your shotgun stuff, which you're very well known for throughout the, especially the double wing community, but just in general? Yeah, so when I first started coaching, we were a true Delaware wing tee, and I got a lot of stuff from from uh, University of Delaware and Nevada Union, a couple other schools. And, and then we transitioned to the double wing because we were getting so many big kids but kind of too slow to even run the wing tee um, and, and some pretty good running backs. So that double wing really, really got our program turned around. It was probably the biggest thing, at least offensively, that we got going. But as everybody knows that runs a double winger or something similar, it's just not something you see on Saturdays and Sundays. And, you know, kids can lose a little motivation by it, especially at a bigger school. I think smaller schools, for whatever reason, don't seem to have the same amount of issues. But, um, you know, we're second largest in the biggest state in the country, so it's, we're still decently sized. And, and then, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, it was kind of the excuse of why kids weren't getting scholarships as much. And it really was – we had great kids and they're overachievers and they're tough, but we just weren't getting any guy, not many guys anyway. It was six foot five linemen, you know, or yeah, four, four, four or five, 40 skill guys. I mean, most of our skill guys were four, eight, four, nine, and most of our linemen were 190 pounds. So there's just not many scholarships that come with that. Um, but we started getting more players and more and more kids were getting out, but still it was just one of those things. I wanted to at least transition a little bit out of the pure Neanderthal version of double wing. So I kind of came up with a version of, of taking a lot of single wing principles and then a lot of what actually Auburn was doing with Gus Miles on um, and, and kind of combining Auburn's offense, our double wing offense, and the oldest offense of Maul with a single wing almost. And uh, just came up with what we call the you know shotgun wing. And all of a sudden, a couple things happened. One, being in shotgun and being able to pass a little bit better out of it, you know, obviously got quarterbacks more excited, centers more excited. Uh, and then also parents, you know, you know, it, it, like I said, it enabled us to pass more. So I think every time I've run this offense, you know, we've been around 1,500 yards passing, 
which before were more like 700. But then what really amazingly opened up, especially in 2013 and 2014, well, even in 12 when I first did it, uh, was our rushing yards just blew up. And we had, in 2014, we had 7,000 yards rushing and I think 8,000 and change total offense. And I think that still holds rushing record for uh, schools over 1,500 kids. Um, so I was doing it for probably a different reason. And then the whole reason I ran the wing T or double wing in the first place actually improved. So it was kind of like, I felt the passing game and more athletes would come once we did it, but actually our run game improved even more too. So it was a win-win. And then uh, the kids seemed to enjoy it more. And and then our two minute offense, which was pure spread, which actually got us to the state championship last year, uh, really improved because now we were doing something a little more similar. Okay. You know, when you go to the double wing to a two minute offense, that's a tough transition. <laughs> but when you go from that shotgun wing to a spread offense and have a two minute offense, now it's pretty productive. And obviously that has to do with the kids as well. We had a really good quarterback last year and he's back this year as well, Jay Kern. Um, so that obviously helped. And we had some receivers that really put in some time in the off season. Um, so, you know, but it really was the perfect transition at the perfect time. And uh, every year I got some guys like Mensing <laughs> that'll say, you know, you're going to go back under center. And I'm saying, I will never go back under center. Matter of fact, I think I broke the officials association this year with this rule. We were in shotgun so much that even if we killed the clock, I would not go under center. Even if it was yeah. fourth and one inch, I would not go under center because I'm a purist as far as if we're going to do something, we're going to commit to it and do it right. And uh, so when we would kill the clock, we would snap it to our quarterback and our quarterback would shovel it to our fullback H-back and he would knock it down because you can't spike the ball yeah. out of shotgun. And that rule just changed this year, at least in California. It yeah, it's pretty much nationally because I'm pretty yeah. sure that was our I, I put in all kinds of complaints and, and hit up some of the main guys out here because I thought it was just the dumbest rule. And they all agreed. You know, what is, what's the difference? Yeah. So uh, anyway, so I'm glad to hear it is national. Um, but yeah, so that was, that's kind of my illustration when I speak to tell people how committed you have to be when you make a change, you can't just add stuff. And that's what everyone wants to do. They want to have this package and that package and they want to be adders and adding in high school football, especially it doesn't work. Yeah. You're just spreading yourself thin. You're making the kids more confused. And the biggest reason that we do the things we do on offense, defense, and special teams is to get our kids to be able to play on autopilot where they are not thinking anymore. The thinking part is done. We did that in practice. We've, we've covered it over and over. And now it's Friday at seven o'clock and it doesn't matter if it's fourth down and 20 um, in a biggest game of the year. Our kids, I feel like, will perform. And we had some, you know, the, we were down, uh, I don't know, I two or three touchdowns in four minutes. I'm drawing a blank right now. Yeah, we're down two touchdowns four minutes left last year in the rain and came back to go to the state championship against a really good Elk Grove team. But on top of that was we actually scored three touchdowns. One got called back, but there was just a feeling on the sideline that we were going to come back. And I felt like the kids out on the field felt it too. Um, and, you know, we did some things in the state game too, that I think if we were doing too much, we would have never got there. Yeah. And I think young coaches, and coaches that are struggling are the two main culprits of guys that do too much. Guys that are struggling, a lot of times they're struggling because they do too much and they just add stuff. 
And then young coaches or new to the game coaches watch too much TV and it's impossible <laughs> not to watch LSU two years ago or, you know, Alabama and not want to add plays. I do it all the time. It's part of the reason I don't even watch football because all I'll do is the wheels start spinning in my head about, oh, that play works good and it would fit in this formation and we could do, and then it ends up not even being fun watching TV. Uh, and then I also, it's like, you know, just putting too much candy in front of you when you're on a diet. You know, you just stay away from it and you'll eat better. So, uh, anyway, it is the single hardest thing to do as a coach when it comes to X's and O's. The easiest part is drawing up plays. Yeah. And beat the guy on the napkin at lunch at a clinic, right? You know, the hardest part is, is what can your kids do Friday night on fourth down in bad conditions? And that's exactly what our kids did in the semifinals last year. And uh, it was good to see. Now... I've I've had some experience, obviously, with the double wing, and obviously known mincing. That's kind of helped over the years. But how how much? And I, and I know this. It kind of varies depending on the double wing coach. How much have you messed with like flipping your offensive line over the course of that career of your double wing? Yeah, I don't like it. Um, I did it a little bit when I ran the wing T in the beginning because our kids couldn't remember rules and. There are so I had so many new kids in football, but the problem with that is, is you just don't get that good at a particular side of the football. I want my right guard to always doing things from the right. So when he down blocks, he's always down blocking left. And when he pulls for, for like our Trojan sweep, he's always getting that same kind of pull and that same kind of rep. Plus we use wristbands anyway. So to me, if you flip your line, you're doing it because it's easy to memorize, you know, when you flip your line. Same play to the right and the same play to the left if you flip your line. You know, obviously you're doing different things if you're on the opposite side of the line on, on different on the mirror play. So, yeah. you know, everything we have is on wristbands anyway. So our kids just look at the wristband twenty four power means, you know, A gap to backer or twenty eight rocket sweep means pull to the pull to the alley, you know, type stuff like that. So in in a memorization situation, then yes, flipping the line could definitely be beneficial. But when it comes to doing the same thing from the same side of the ball and get more of that muscle memory in there, and uh, if you have a way of your kids to memorize things like we do with their play cards, I think it's a disadvantage. Yeah. And then uh, you, you mentioned um, obviously switching to the gun and kind of it helping your run game. Do you, is the reason it, part of the reason it helped your run game is it caused, with your ability now to throw, to change what the defenses could do to you? Because uh, obviously, when you're under center, the defense will just variety of six to seven man fronts. Yeah. And did how how much of that the looks you were seeing morph over the course of you switching to the gun over the years? Yeah, no, it definitely got more. What you would see is a traditional, you know, if someone ran a four or three, and they played us under double wing, they're running like an eleven two. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Like, my point was, is they're in such a condensed defense. And I get it, because we couldn't throw that good out of the double wing. So I'd have done the same thing. But when we did what we did, not only did we take, you know, you get a lot. Here's the benefits of shotgun, especially for a team that pulls. Pulling depth is huge. Because especially, you know, in Texas, when we, I played two games in Texas, and my God. Um, those kids know how to take out legs. But, you know, when power and, and counter are your main plays and the defensive end just takes your legs out, yeah, I know it's, an, it's, it's technically illegal, but refs barely call it anyway. They're going to create a pile, and if your backside puller's got depth, they can get around that pile really easy. 
And I always tell our kids, depth gives you choices. Because if, you, if your play side part of the line gets penetrated, you can get around it. Um, if something crazy happens, if a blitzer gets through, whatever it is, depth gives you choices. So you can't get depth when there's a quarterback in your way, especially in an offense that has, you know, one foot, foot splits. Um, so now in shotgun, my guards can get out with more depth than they ever could imagine because the football is going to beat them every time, even with zero splits. We don't go, we're pretty much one foot splits, but even with zero splits. So that helped tremendously because now you can kick or log the end on all those plays and we don't care. You want to come up field, we'll kick you out. If you want to log or you want to blow us up, we'll log you and go around you. And that, that really helped out the bat. It also allows the quarterback to be a much better runner and passer. You know, behind center, he's kind of limited to the runs he can do. And then behind center, you really got to work on footwork a lot more. When you're in gun, you've eliminated that. And then here's another great example. In 2016, we went to the state championship with our fourth string quarterback. We were one quarterback past the emergency quarterback who <laughs> you never get to an emergency quarterback yeah. in the season, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty much unheard of. You know, 16 games, a long season. But we lost our starting quarterback in like week eight or nine. So then we had our second team guy. He goes out two or three weeks later. Then we go with our emergency quarterback. He goes out in the first game he's in. So we take our free safety and we put in a quarterback and he learned the entire offense in, in five minutes. <laughs> I mean, I'm joking. But he was able to do that from a Monday to a Thursday and then play, you know, Oak Grove of San Jose, which has a huge amount of kids and uh, really talented. And, and we ended up, you know, blowing him out with a free safety playing quarterback because he didn't have to learn that much. Yeah. You know, he's a pretty good athlete, obviously. And he's a smart kid. But, you know, he ran the ball the majority of the time and then handed off the ball, you know, every fifth play. Um, that's how we ran out the clock with our uh, state championship last year. I put my my wing at quarterback. We just snapped it to him, and he just ran power and counter and Trojan all game until the clock ran out. So you can't do that. But behind center, you're going to fumble, right? I mean, that's – as long as your kid can catch a four and a half yard pass, which is pretty simple, and you got a center that's worked on it, you're set. And uh, I've had less less fumbled snaps in shotgun than I ever had when I was behind center. So, yeah. um, and then the other the other thing is, you know, like I said, the passing and the and the depth. But just the kids like it. Quarterback likes it. The center likes it, and then they'll practice it more. And uh, you know, all things considered, it's just a it's a thing that get gets the kids excited. What what does a typical week look like for you, from preparing your offense and from a practice standpoint throughout the week? So a typical week in like in, during the season. Yeah, right? yeah, obviously yeah. pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I guess we kind of start our week with Saturday because Saturday's film from the game, and we'll, we'll go two hours of film and then I'll let the kids go. We don't do anything unless a kid had a major violation in the game, some kind of bad penalty. And then, so Monday is mostly uh, special teams. You know, we revisit special teams and we do what we call day one, day two. So we're a two platoon team, but we have a lot of kids that play both ways. About a third of our team do. So we're not a pure two platoon. So day one means certain kids go to offense and day two, they go to defense. So what we'll do is we'll do half day one and day two on Monday, which I know is probably confusing people right now, but my point is, is Monday's kind of, we do everything, as many things as we can do. And then Tuesday, it's our day one offense day, and we get after it and, you know, do all our, you know, our endo and a lot of team. And, and Wednesday, we do the same thing. We just flip the day two, 
And then Thursday's your special teams day. We still run a ton of plays against air. And then Friday's obviously games. But the one big thing that we do, and this is another thing that helps with those wristbands, is we run a ton of plays. So I, the, I'll still never forget. And it's almost every recruiter makes a comment about it. But the University of Tennessee recruiter came, and I don't know, it was about three years ago. And he came up to me and goes, Coach, I just charted how many plays you ran. It was something like 186 plays. And he goes, we've never even run 100 plays. And you guys just ran 186. And, and he was so amazed. I heard him on the phone telling his, his, uh, either his head coach or, or offensive coordinator. I think he was recruiting Jalen McKenzie at the time. And it made me realize that he said, I've been to tons of high school practice. I've never seen anything like it. So my point is we run on Tuesday and Wednesday a ton of plays. So we'll do a decent amount. Um, you know, just to hit up on the thud with the defensive scout, and then we'll do some where we're going pretty dang hard, and then maybe five plays at the end, we'll just go live. Um, but we never, and we don't condition. We don't have to condition at the end of practice. The only conditioning we do is a little bit in the beginning of the year, you know, before we even played our first game, before even our first scrimmage, and then when kids do something wrong at school. Uh, but the, when you do all those plays and you run them as fast as we do, that's what the wristbands help a lot. Um, practice as much as games you just you don't need to condition and if you think about it that's how a game goes it's basically you know three hours of real hard break real hard break you don't do 20 minute wind sprints especially linemen in a game you just don't do it so it's not really authentic to the game anyway uh, so again i save it for when kids do something stupid like you know to a teacher in class yeah and uh go from there how, how, but how have you gotten so efficient in your practice that you're able to run those plays? Is it, is it just the off the field organizational point? Is it the overall culture of your practice? Is it how you break down practice from point A to point B? How have you gotten that efficient to where you can run 100 plus yeah. plays in a practice? No, it's definitely culture because I'm the worst practice. I don't, I never have practice plans and it drives my coaches crazy. So, what happens is my defensive coordinator and DB coach. They're my organized guys. And there's always one on the staff for whatever reason. You always got that type <laughs> A guy that can't stand being with me because I drive nuts. So I just have him write up the practice plans and we go with it. And uh, because we do got to mirror each other a little bit since some of our guys, like I said, go both ways. We this day two, day two, day one, day two thing. Um, so, yeah, it's culture. It's definitely the expectation that once we get on the field, we're moving. Um, and I think my assistant coaches are really good at knowing that if there's a line in Indo and that line is where kids sitting around for more than like a minute, I'm going to go crazy. That's my biggest pet peeve, you know? So I don't care how it necessarily gets done as long as it gets done with, with speed and efficiency. Um, and, uh, you know, if there's ever a line of more than three kids waiting to run a route or anything, I'm going to really be pissed. And, uh, like I said, like you kind of mentioned, I think you brought it, said it the best. It's, it's the culture. It's them just understanding what we do. And it's a quick whistle. So the kid, usually I blow the whistle when the running back's five yards downfield or about two yards after we complete a pass, and then they're sprinting back, and I'm already calling the next play. And then I'll usually have a guy that's already switching the defense up, or I'll tell a backer to blitz, and they're, you know, they're ready to go, you know, fairly quick. So, uh, yeah, culture's the best way to say it. Now, you you also mentioned you don't want guys staying around. So from a drill perspective, one, what are your priorities, and two, what are like the main drills your position groups have to get done throughout the week that are kind of your priority to make sure your offense goes the way it needs to go? Yeah. So we usually act oddly enough and we are passing now. I'm actually taking this offense and putting it into more of a spread package. 
because I got Jake back, that quarterback, still running everything the same, but obviously more spread plays and a little bit more two-minute offense. So we always actually start off with a pass block drill um, because that gets you warmed up and, you know, you're standing a little taller and there's a little less uh, things that can happen to pull muscles. So they know right where to go right in the beginning. We're doing our pass block drills, pass block drills. Then usually we'll go right into double teams. Double teams are non-negotiable. We got to get into double teams, whether we're combo blocking, scraping the next level, uh, you know, blocking the hip with the lead man, all those kind of things. Because double teams is, is really all about our our offense. And then we'll usually do some kind of pull drill, which pull and trap drill or pull to the next level drill. So those are kind of the three non-negotiables that we'll do uh, every single day. And then if there's something we just need to work on, like, you know, our down blocks didn't look very good or our fastball reach compared to our vertical reach. We'll work on that individually. So three non-negotiables are what people call everyday drills. And then maybe one or two things we just need to fix before we get into the team. And, uh, and every, you know, here's another thing that we, we film practice too. So this is two more things that actually helps uh, us run plays fast. I, I tell all my coaches, and they, again, they know this now. So like you said, it's culture. They only get to say one correction on the field to a kid at a time. So if a kid had bad pad level and narrow base, I don't even want them to tell them that. Just tell them pad level. If a kid on a pass protection, you know, wasn't getting his head back and, and it was something that, you know, and, and he also did something wrong with his hands, just tell him he did something wrong with his hands. Because the kids can't fix two things at once, especially when you're going fast. And, and the first part of practice, which I, this is my bad for not mentioning, we actually meet in a classroom, uh, two classrooms, one for offense, one for defense, at 3.30 every day in a regular year. And the first 45 minutes of practice is film from yesterday's practice. Okay. So we're watching film, and then we run out, and then we start our practice from there. Uh, so that's, that's pretty much every day is we're starting practice with film. So our kids don't even know to go to the field first. They go to the, uh, they go to the film room. So filming practice and coaches knowing you only get to tell a kid one thing per play helps you run a tremendous amount of plays too because then they don't stop practice yeah you stop practice you run flow kids can get cold especially when the winter months i can imagine what it's like in ohio <laughs> so we don't want any kind of cool down for any mental or physical reason yeah and then uh, I, I mean I, I, there's a couple of things that we, i want to hit on before we go coaches um you're i mean what obviously power is is the base play in this offense and that's where everything starts and you build off of do you go is, – is your progression typically power, counter, Trojan, or how's your progression normally work as you install it? I know it might yeah, be I mean, year to year. In priority order, it's power, Trojan, but because power and counter are so similar, what you said is more correct. Um, you know, power, counter, Trojan, strong, trap strong, rocket both ways, um, and then uh, Trojan pass and power pass come after that you know there's been a couple of years probably more than two actually probably more like five or six years where i didn't even run trap to both sides and i only ran trojan 90 percent to the right you know uh just because it's more important to get one play perfect than just to try to mirror it and it gets watered down um there's been some years i've only run power to the right and counter to the left that's a mistake <laughs> uh, I'll flat admit that's a mistake. Um, unless your right guard is just a beast, you know? yeah. Uh, but you gotta have power both ways. But that's just kind of my point of how limited we try to do. We never go on two. We call no play check with me when we want it, when we think someone's gonna jump. You know, so our our quarterback will say, you know, our cadence is black red go, 
and he'll say that as loud as he can. And if they don't jump, they look to me and I have an audible on the sideline. You know, usually about six plays or audibles, they audible to it, and then we run the play from there. Um, or I'll call a timeout. If I'm about to burn a timeout anyway, I'll always go no play yeah. to see if we can get somebody to jump. And up until last year, I'd say we probably would get three offsides a game. You know, last year, eh, probably the last two years, it's dried up a little bit. But at least I know I'm keeping those teams honest that they're not jumping, you know. So. Yeah. Okay. But again, you start changing your cadence, you're going to get more penalties than the defense is going to get throughout a year. And now you got your kids thinking, which you don't want them to do. You can't have – I don't even think you want NFL guys thinking. You just – the more physical you are when you when you when you don't have to think when the thinking's been done. Not that you don't have to think. I'm not saying we want these watered down dummies. I just want the thinking to have been all done Monday through Thursday, so Friday night we can play. Yeah. And you you also mentioned earlier that um, about kind of sell. I mean, it's it's how do I word this? Um, the gun aspect was more appealing to the players. How do you sell? The, the the shotgun double wing to not only a, a youth program, but also to like community or st- influential stakeholders who may want that more pure, I don't know, just air raid gun offense. You sell it to them. Do you want to win? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what it comes down to. Because I'm telling you right now, anybody can win with this offense. Anybody can win, but not everybody can win with air raid and spread and all that kind of stuff. You got to have some. You got to have at least a couple dudes. And on top of that, you got to have a couple backup dudes. Because, I mean, I've seen spread teams go 7 0. They lose their starting quarterback and they lose the next three games and don't even make the playoffs. Right? I mean, it's just such a tremendous drop off. And then I think you get more afraid to discipline kids because you don't want to lose them. So, a great example of us the last two years, I've kicked off our leading rusher off the team and we didn't lose a beat. Um, you know, so the kid I kicked off this year had 2,300 yards his junior year, MVP of the league. We're seven weeks in. He's by far leading rusher. I kicked him off the team. We didn't lose a beat. We ended up winning the state championship. The year before, before the season even started, I had kicked off our, you know, 1,600-yard rusher, and he's also a really good uh, linebacker, too. Because when you lose a kid in our offense, it's going to hurt. You know, you always want the best guys on the team, but it's not going to kill you. You can't bench your top receiver in the spread, and you definitely can't bench or kick off your top quarterback unless you're really lucky enough to have two, which just doesn't happen unless you're at a big school or you're at a lucky year. Uh, you know, so that's why I really believe in this offense is consistency. Um, you know, well, but to the younger groups, I mean, I've been lucky enough that ever since we've been running, we've been winning. So people believe in it enough. They know yeah. it works. They see my highlight films and all that. But I'd say if I was coming to a program that I was just starting out, I would just to appeal to say, hey, you know, we can start spreading things out as we go. But I want to have a base package where I know I can get first downs. Yeah. And once we get first downs and we learn these basic things, then we can start branching off and, and going. Sadly enough, unless you have talent, that's not going to happen. But maybe you have an opportunity to do that as kids get better or you get a transfer to that comes in or whatever it might be, but you're, you're not, and you never will see, and I, I don't see it in California, unless it's a really big school that gets transfers and gets guys in, whether it's legal or not, I don't know how it's happening. Spread teams are not nearly as consistent, you know, it just, you know, private schools in California, big schools in California or schools that just have a certain, uh, 
group of kind of kids in their league, in a small league, they just don't do it. I mean, you know, they'll, they'll once in a while do it. But if you look at the schools that consistently win, they have some kind of a strong run base or the coaches that consistently win. They have some kind of strong run base behind it, unless you're at a school that just gets talent. Yeah. So. <laughs> and then um, kind of continuing from there, Coach, is um, what, what do you see – for people that install this offense, that that try to install your offense, what are the kind of the biggest hurdles or hiccups that they have to work through as as they install this? Number one, they got to find a center that's willing to practice shotgun a lot and like it. You know, you don't need an athlete center whatsoever. You just need a kid that's willing to practice and that can down block. Um, obviously, the more you pass and the pass block, but you can help them. You know, you can help your center a lot more with double teams. You know, on a on a nose guard and one shade. Uh, than you can your tackles. So I would get, you know, you got to get that discipline kid that actually will practice it. Uh, the biggest one, and I've said it probably two or three times in different ways, is just not adding too many plays and not trying to make this just another package. Uh, another pitfall would be teams don't get uh, the play to the right good enough before they run the mirror play to the left. You know, I think you really, you can run it, you can practice the mirror play and introduce it and all that. But you better get good at it to the right before you even start really working it to the left. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And then they just start understanding the play that much better. And then it's easier to run the reciprocal, the, the mirror play uh, as they get going. And they see what happens when someone comes off and blitzes or D-line changes their alignment at the last minute. I mean, we've, had, we've seen every defense know the man and our kids could care less what comes at us. You know, I'll practice against an even and odd and all covered all week. But they don't care. They, they don't care. They used to in the beginning. They get kind of freaked out. Coach, you think they're going to run an odd? You think they're going to blitz a lot? As we got going, they're, they don't they care less. We've had teams change, you know, from an okie to a, you know, under to an over on the, when we snap our hands down, all, all kinds of stuff. It doesn't matter. But my point is, is they know it so well we've gotten it to that point, And a lot of coaches will not spend the time to get it there. Yeah. And don't put in a spread two-minute offense unless you've had a full summer to really practice it or you've been there a year or two, because that's another thing teams will do. Well, coach, what do you do when you're down by 21? Well, you're going to freaking lose because, and you'll be down by 21 more because you didn't invest in the base offense enough. Yeah. You're not coming back down by 21 until you get kind of established. It's, it's not going to happen. You're just going to go down by 28. You know, you're going to throw a pick or so your quarterback's going to get sacked. Once you get going and you really establish things, then that's a little different, which is probably the scariest thing this year because we are going primarily spread, even though our run game is the exact same run game, and we haven't had one seven-on-seven seven game because of COVID. Yeah. You know, so my instinct is to just go back to what we call heavy, which is double tight, but my kids practice so much on their own, and they really earned it, in my opinion, that we're going to stay in what we're doing. You know, we'll run heavy in the goal line and fourth and one, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, we're going to go with more. It's a lot of two-by-one receiver sets and, and go with it right now. And it looks good, you know. But, again, we haven't had one seven-on-seven. Seven, so, we'll see. And is that, is that now that obviously that allows you to build on the screen game you guys already kind of had? Because I know I've seen some of your stuff with screen game already. But is that does that affect your, your power run game too much by spreading it out more? Or do you think you can do a lot of the similar stuff out of that? We, we, I mean, no matter what, when you take a guy out of the box, you're weaker. 
There's yeah. just no doubt about it. And people will say, well, you bring guys in the box. Well, it doesn't matter because when I bring my X receiver in, he is now going to block someone in the box by pulling in the box where it matters. When he's spread out, he's blocking a freaking corner. Who yeah. cares about a corner, right? But I bring him in and he's pulling, he's blocking the box. And and people, then some people go, well, I can't get my tight end to pull. If your tight end's two, if your tight end's under 280, he can pull. Yeah. Trust me, you don't have to pull that far. And even in Trojan, there's ways of getting them out. Anyway, the point being is, yeah, <laughs> there's no way we're going to be as powerful. And you've hit on something. Our screen game is really good and has been because we put a lot of time into it. So that will help pull guys out of the box a little bit. Um, and then we're doing a lot of stuff where we do motion. One of the two guys that are spread out or one of the three guys technically now, that brings that guy as a blocker or a faker because we run a lot of fly off this or jet. Uh, that helps as well. But there's no doubt. There's no – for anyone to say we can run just as good when they know you're running out of spread compared to heavy, they don't know what they're talking about. You know, I, I, I know I can run against 13 guys in the box out of heavy better than I can out of six or seven in the box out of spread. Yeah. But if your quarterback can chuck like my kid can chuck and he's, he's, he's put his time in on the offseason on his own, then you can rebalance that out. And then you have another aspect that can help things. You know, the, the old thing about I spread guys out to run the ball. If you do that, the defense does not know how to defend you. Because if you can't throw the ball, it's so easy to bring guys back in the box and still defend the pass. Yeah. So that's one of the and, – and again, the passing game is much more advanced than when I used to hear coaches say that all the time. But if coaches are still saying that, they're playing defensive coordinators that don't know what they're doing. I mean, I hate to sound like that. Um, you know, if you really want to run the ball and you are known to run the ball, you better be in some heavy formation. Yeah. Well, the coach that knows what he's doing is going to stop you. Now, you can have the best D coordinator in the world, but if my 11 can get into your seven, because really it's not 11 in the box. They bring safeties up. They're still safeties. They still got to cover three vertical and stuff like that. It's really seven and maybe kind of nine. I still got you outnumbered. Yeah. You know, so anyway, that, that's just my two cents on that. And then kind of the last thing I got for you before we go, Coach, is how is your um, blocking progression for your offensive line um, evolved over the years? Yeah, um, I had my own, and then I went over and visited De La Salle one year when I was in Columbus, and they gave me theirs, and I kind of mixed them together. Now that we're a hands-blocking team, I've kind of back, gone back to the older one a little bit because to do the one that De La Salle truly does, you need to use your form. You, you just can't step that hard and that big the way they do, especially on that second step with using your hands. You just get overextended. And and what I've also realized is, you know, Dale Sal does get a uh, – even though they might not have D1 linemen every year, they still got 220-pound kids that are freaking monsters. You know, they're your dream linebacker playing line, and that's still pretty darn good in high school. If you have your 290-pound kid that's kind of slow and – but you like him at O line enough because he's big, or you got the typical 170 pounder that I'll get a lot of times at guard. That technique doesn't work. So we use hands a lot more uh, now. But the biggest things that stay consistent, it's the pad level. Even though you cannot get as low using hands, you just can't. But you can still get pretty darn low. I still get. I mean, I've been using hands since 2012, and I still get a lot of comments. How do you keep your kids, you know, so low? Um, but the other thing is too is your elbows gotta be inside the yeah. moment your elbows come even an inch off your rib cage 
you are no longer run blocking, in my opinion. You're, you're the way we want to run block, I should say. You're no longer power blocking. You're no longer jacking linebackers up, and you're no longer really double teaming guys, right? Um, so what we do, and I just did it the other day. So you know, finally got to be able to do it again. You got to put people in the fit position first. They got to know where their goal is, right? The goal yeah. is to be in the perfect fit position. It's like anything else in life. You got to have a goal to know where you're going. So we get them exactly felt like, you know, it's easier now because these kids have done it for, but in that fit position, where I want you to be on down block, where I want you to be on post block, where I want you to be on a reach block, where I want your hands to be on a pass block, and then work your way backwards. And if you do that, honestly, you can't go wrong. Everyone's technique is good as far as coaches. I've never heard a coach try to teach the wrong thing, right? We all have different ways of doing it. Some people like loading the hands. Some people think loading the hands takes too much time. Both are good. But the bottom line is, is teach it from the end goal and work your way backwards. And don't jump from one step to the other too soon, which sucks because we can't do that right now since our game, our first game is in a week. You know, actually, no, check that. It's in two weeks. Yeah. Um, our first scrimmage is in a week. And we only had four days of practice last week and only one day with pads on. So we are really, really limited. You know, that's another thing I hear from coaches. Coach, I can't teach all this progression you do because we don't have the time and I'm like, we don't either. We have the normal four weeks before our first game. Now we have two or two, two and change. Yeah. You can do it, and you still want to do it. And here's another thing. Don't just do it before your first game. Keep doing it. You might not have to put them in the fifth position after week two or three, right? Week, week you know, zero, one, two, three, make sure before you do any block and drills, you put them in the fifth position. Yeah. Now you don't have to do it as long or correct their hands and all that. And then just, like I said, work your way backwards. And then always – here another thing about get off – Get off comes with confidence, right? Because you know what you're doing so you can do it fast. And get off also comes when you go, dude, did you know how slow that get off just, oh, coach, I don't know why I was thinking. Yeah, of course. Just go. And you tell them, I don't care if you miss, just go. Pullers especially. Downfield blockers. The worst thing I see kids do, especially when they run pulling offenses like ours, is their pullers want to get the perfect block or really get their body on them. That doesn't happen. Go full speed at them and try to knock their freaking helmet off, and you either create a lane because the guy runs away from you, or you're going to knock the snot at him because you're just bringing it. So that's another thing that I think our kids will say, all right, well, even if I miss, even at the line of scrimmage, if you miss, you're still kind of creating a lane. Now, that's not what I want you to do, but the point is, is I don't want them so caught up and have to do everything perfect that their get-off is hinged or their pull is too slow. So. And then, and the last thing, coach, is for anybody looking to maybe install this this off season, um, what advice would you give them? Um, I, I kind of things we talked about: making sure you only you, you don't try to run the whole package right off the bat and then work your way back. Run one or two plays a day and really get good at it. Uh, force your running backs to carry the ball up here, the two-inch rule, which is two inches from your chin. Because the great thing about this offense is you don't turn the ball over much. Uh, tell your kids how fun it is to pull and block somebody. I mean, we're doing a lot more pass blocking right now, and the kids kind of liked it in the beginning because it was new or newer. <laughs> <laughs> but now they're like, damn, coach, I've missed pulling more. And I know, you know, pulling and screens are fun. You get to go play human bumper cars and drill people. So you got to motivate them, and then you got to show them film, whether it's film of our kids or another team that runs something similar to get them excited. Uh, kids are all about. You know, even before social media, kids were always watching highlight films and TV videos and all that stuff. That stuff goes a long way with kids, no matter, you know, what day and age we are in. So my point is, I guess, too, is you got to sell it. 
it works and it's gonna work it could work even at a d1 college i don't i think it's a mistake because you can recruit yeah but in any situation that you cannot recruit kids this offense to me is by far the best thing you can do to win you know with lesser athletes and to win every year no matter what your your talent pool or depth is all right Um, but yeah taking it slow well, well, coaches, that was another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. Make sure you check out um, Coach's website where you can find a bunch more more information uh, below on his um, double-wing offense and kind of the stuff he does. I believe he's also got defensive stuff on there that they do as well yeah. through his website as well. Uh, make sure you check out our sponsors below. Uh, click and check out some of the stuff they're, they're offering as well. Uh, if there's any part of this interview you want to go back and listen through, uh, the tags with the breakdown will be below as well, so you can go back and check out specific co- spots there as well. Um, and then uh, thank you again, coaches, and that was another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast.